leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Global innovation activity experienced broad gains across industry sectors last year, according to Thomson Reuters' newly released 2016 State of Innovation Report. We spoke to Anthony Tripp, Senior Patent Analyst for Thomson Reuters, about the report, its upbeat outlook, and what it says about the direction of innovation in the biotechnology, pharmaceutical, and medical device sectors. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. We're going to talk about the state of innovation study from the intellectual property and science business of Thomson Reuters. You look at innovation across 12 sectors, but we're going to focus on innovation in the biotech, pharmaceutical, and medical device sectors. Perhaps we should begin with the concept of innovation itself. For the purpose of the study, what do you mean by the term innovation and how is it measured? Well, different people have different definitions of what innovation is per se. Uh, sometimes people think about there as the idea of an idea. Yeah, that's the very starting point. You have an idea. Then if you reduce that idea to practice, well, maybe that becomes an invention and something that you might want to patent on. And then if you went ahead and put that invention into practice, started to commercialize it. Uh, some people would say that that's uh, innovation at that point. Now, for the purposes of this study, uh, we're talking about invention and innovation synonymously. And that's because the primary uh, metric that's being used here is looking at the number of patent filings. Uh, there's an idea called a patent family, which we're actually specifically looking at because somebody can take an invention, say, and file it in the United States, and file it in Europe, and file it in Japan. and uh, if they do that, we don't want to count all of those different countries. We really just want to count uh, the inventive output. So that's what we're dealing with primarily in this report. There's also a, a good deal of information about the scientific literature, uh, patent papers, excuse me, not patent papers, and, and other uh, scientific literature uh, associated with uh, science, and, and that's co uh, covered in here as well. But uh, most of the material that you and I will be talking about uh, is specific to the patent filing. Well, how how good an indicator of innovation are patents, and, and do they tell us more about the state of innovation or the direction it's heading? Well, here's the thing. Personally, I look at filing a, uh, filing a patent as a business decision. Patents aren't cheap. 
Uh, they, they cost quite a bit of money to file. They cost, they, uh, cost a lot to prosecute. Uh, in the sense that you go round and round with these various patent offices and you file translations and, uh, there's a lot of different, um, aspects or a lot of different steps involved before you finally get a granted patent. And then they have to be maintained. And so people don't do that or organizations, companies don't file these patents just because they look good hanging on somebody's wall. Um, it, they're, they're, they're a little bit expensive. And in that sense, uh, I tend to look at patents as an indicator of interest from an economic perspective. Uh, if an organization is willing to spend $10,000, dollars $30,000 for an initial filing, well, that indicates that they're interested in an area. And so that's the way I tend to look at it, uh, that in that sense, it, it's an innovation uh, because they're interested enough in it. Uh, companies generate thousands and thousands of ideas, but they only file patents on some of them. Now, as your other question regarding uh, direction, uh, and what you're talking about there is, is a good indicator uh, of what's going on currently or the direction that it's headed. And my answer to that would be it's a little of both. Uh, built into patents uh, are this is this idea of, of somebody files for a patent, and then it's almost always 18 months until that application gets published. So there's already an 18-month window built into uh, the entire system here as far as filing and corresponding publication. And so, it, yes, it tells you about what they were thinking 18 months ago when they filed it. At that point, they thought that it was a good idea to spend the money to do this. Uh, but it also then tells you that uh, it, it's going to take a few years for this to grant, for instance. And that's when the uh, the rights associated with a patent actually come into play or come into effect. And in the meantime, they may decide to abandon that application, for instance. So if you understand how patents work, if you understand how they're uh, prosecuted, if you understand a little bit about how companies work when it comes to making decisions to file, making decisions to actually uh, follow through to grant, and then uh, deciding whether or not to maintain those documents, you know, that can tell you a lot about how that organization feels uh, about that particular technology, how serious they are about pursuing it commercially. Before we uh, discuss specific industries, what are you seeing overall? Are there broad trends? Well, that's just it. I mean, uh, the report makes it pretty clear that this is the most innovative year uh, that the industry has ever seen as far as the number of filings, uh, the, the number of industries that are uh, up uh, as far as year-on-year uh, -year growth. Uh, we've looked back uh, to 2011 in many cases and looked at the growth over that time period. And it, it just speaks very, very well uh, to the global innovative capacity uh, that we're seeing right now. Uh, and that is uh, somewhat to be expected as we are, say, coming out of a recession. And so economically, there is a tendency at times during uh, periods of, of recession or an economic downturn to maybe invest less uh, in, in, in technology and in patenting and so on. And then smart companies begin to realize that there's an opportunity there uh, and that they can, they can start to gain ground on their competitors if they uh, need to ramp up their research. And then as the 
world or a specific country comes out of those uh, recessions and those economic downturns, you start to see these numbers really start to take off. Uh, and so it, it's a very exciting uh, time as far as the development of technology. And you can see that in, in many different industries. You also talk about the growing role of collaboration plays in innovation. What, what are you seeing along those lines? Well, that's really fascinating. Uh, it, it turns out, for instance, uh, Thomson Reuters has done a separate study uh, on the automotive industry. Uh, we've done a separate study on uh, powering the planet and electricity generation. And it's really amazing to see when you look at these lists or you look at these collections and aggregates, how companies that you don't necessarily expect to be making an impact in an industry are. Say the automotive industry, for instance, there's, there's a lot of interest in connected vehicles, self-driving cars. But one of the key aspects uh, to enable that is the development of sensors. Another key aspect is the development of specialized computing power in order to take in that sensor data, interpret it, work with it, and then correspondingly make decisions and impact the vehicle. And so it takes technology from all different types of areas in order to be able to achieve some of these really uh, groundbreaking, earth-shattering, whatever metaphor you want to use, these, these these big leaps, these advances in some of these technologies don't come typically from necessarily the established players themselves all by themselves or with the technologies that are traditional to that particular industry. Oftentimes, it's a collaboration uh, and, and an enhancement of an industry by taking advantage of the technology of a completely separate vertical that allows these uh, big leaps forward. Well, let's look at some of the individual sectors. I, I think one of the surprises in the report for me was that of the 12 sectors, only one showed a downtick in innovation from year to year, uh, and that was biotech, which is rather surprising given the level of innovation that appears to be going on. What's happening there? Well, not to get too much into the weeds, uh, because this is, this is a, a patent-specific answer. Here in the United States, the whole idea of patenting in general is under attack. And again, I don't want to get into uh, the whole patent troll debate and, and, and various uh, patent reform issues. That, that's, but, the, but, but there have been three Supreme Court cases that have taken place over the last couple of years that have really had a huge impact on what can be considered to be patent-eligible subject matter in the United States, and in particular, what it is to be uh, a, uh, what, what a natural product actually is, or a product of nature, I should say. So, for instance, in the biotech area, you have a lot of uh, genetic sequencing. You have a, a lot of, of biomolecules. Okay. Now, some of these recent Supreme Court decisions call into question whether or not, once those materials are isolated, if they can actually be patented. And then subsequent to that, whether or not they can be used in a diagnostic kit. All right. And so you've got a situation where what was patentable a couple of years ago and what was a big part of what this industry was actually patenting on is 
But now, at least according to the most recent Supreme Court rulings, not likely to be found to be patentable subject matter. Now, when you have something like that take place, it has a really chilling effect on the industry <clears throat> and the number of patents that they'll file in that industry. Because again, it's not an inexpensive uh, endeavor. And if there's that much expense involved and you don't have a pretty good idea of what your return's going to be or the, the, the idea that you're actually going to be able to enforce those rights, well, then companies are not going to uh, file uh, as much. And, and that's more or less what we're seeing in the biotech area in particular, yeah. and especially within some of the subcategories like diagnostic kits. That's, that, that's real interesting. You, you mentioned it was a year of first for biotech. What are some of the innovations we are seeing? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's an extraordinarily exciting area, uh, and, and there's, there's lots and lots going on uh, with CRISPR, for instance, which is the gene editing technology. And, and the, the fun thing about uh, CRISPR in particular, or gene editing in general, is, is that while CRISPR gets all the headlines, there actually are a few other established methods, uh, something called a zinc finger nuclease, uh, something else called a talon, uh, which is another type of gene editing method that have actually been around for several years already uh, before CRISPR. And then, of course, there's, there's people have been very, very concerned. There's been lots of headlines about the CRISPR patent wars going on between the Broad Institute uh, and the University of California and who really invented what. Who deserves the patents? And, and, and the funniest thing about that is that, meanwhile, the science just keeps going. The whole idea of, of why patents are allowed in the first place is because people then have to share information. And if they don't share information, then we can't continue to grow. And we can't continue to have innovation at the pace that we're having it because people will keep things for themselves. And they'll use trade secrets say, instead. And so, meanwhile, even while this, this patent litigation is taking place between who really invented CRISPR, it's being improved. And those improvements are patentable in and of themselves, and those improvements are, are what's continuing to push uh, the, the ball down the road, as it were. They're continuing to, to see new developments, new opportunities, and new ways to apply it, and new ways to, to improve the technology going forward. And, and that's really what those people should be focusing on, is, is the patent system, the fact that it allows science to continue to grow because people aren't keeping things secret. People are disclosing uh, what they're doing and how they're doing it, and that allows people to be able to improve upon it and apply it in different ways that the original innovator didn't think of. If you look at the list of top global biotechnology innovators, it appears there's been a significant innovation in industrial and agricultural biotechnology. Do we have any breakdown on these areas versus health? Well, I, I, the, it, it's always a little bit challenging to, to look at raw numbers that way. Uh, and so I wouldn't overlook at the, 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 the actual organizations in the top 10 exactly. Um, and as far as different approaches are concerned, different organizations, different uh, subgroups will tend to file more or less uh, individual patents or more uh, variations on the same theme than others. And so in the healthcare area, 
you know, there's certainly a, a large number of companies, and that's actually uh, showcased uh, in the cancer innovators. So within that same section, there's a list that actually talks about uh, the companies that are improving, working in cancer, and, and those are listed there. And if you look at the numbers uh, just by company within cancer, say, and compare that to uh, the sector overall, yes, you know, some of those companies look like they have smaller numbers. Um, but just like with, with anything else, any sort of comparison either between indus- you know, industry to industry or subsections of an industry compared to the subsector of the industry, you want to be really careful about drawing too much of a conclusion from raw numbers like that without uh, understanding a little bit more about the nuance. While we provide that information uh, overall, it, 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 it's worth looking at the individual subsections and looking at the companies to get a really a much clearer picture uh, of what's going on there. The, the area of cancer in particular was real interesting because in the United States, the, the list is really dominated by academic institutions. Uh, Genentech and AbbVie were the only uh, corporate players on, on the list of top 10 innovators. On the other hand, if you look in other regions, it was different. They're, they were dominated by by corporate players. Does, does that suggest anything about the way innovation is done in the U.S. compared to other areas? I'm not, again, making broad generalizations on a country-by-country basis are sometimes difficult. I mean, you know, taking a look, though, at North America, you know, you do have Gen- Genentech as number one and, and AbbVie as, as, as number five. So you know, certainly the number one company uh, is, is an organization as opposed to a university or like the university, the uh, U.S. Department of Health, which is in uh, the third position. But it does it, it probably versus, say, looking at Europe. And again, Roche is number one. And you've got a couple of, of uh, European consortiums or government based uh, organizations. Uh, and then you get to Novartis and Sanofi uh, and a few more and then Glaxo and then Bayer. Uh, and so, clearly, this is an area where uh, there's, there's, there's this general idea of collaboration. And because of the complexity, because of the expense, uh, because of the basic research required in order to, say, identifying uh, receptors to begin with, for instance, um, these are going to be areas where it, it should be expected that the collaboration between industry and academia are going to be particularly strong. And, and again, I, I, I'm not sure I would overinterpret the idea that in the U.S., say, it's, it's two companies versus eight uh, organizations. And, and, and frankly, you can make the argument that um, you know, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute would be another organization. General Hospital is a private organization. Uh, and, and so, but I think across all the countries, and overall, you can certainly say that biotech is one of the areas where collaboration is most important uh, because of the uh, different types of disciplines that are required, because of the you know, overall expense and the overall complexity of working in that particular field. And that's, that's always a nice thing to see, actually, that, that, that the, the universities are involved uh, because of what they can provide by way of manpower. Uh, and by way of, of uh, academic credentials and, and brain power, and, and you know, anytime you see these industries where 
you've got a strong academic component. Uh, yeah, that's good to see. That's good to see some of the smartest people in the world uh, are associated with those organizations. Uh, on the pharmaceutical side, China seems to dominate in terms of innovation. Is is that because they're truly innovating, or are there different attitudes about the the standards at which you would file a patent? It's a little of both. Now, you, you, you can't dismiss the numbers out of hand, uh, but it is important to, to recognize that in China is a, a fascinating study uh, because they, they've only really come on the scene as far as being a dominant force in patenting in the last five to ten years. And they've taken the approach that, that, that they're going to file very, very broadly uh, in the sense that uh, they're not very selective on what they are going to file. Um, now, some of this is also the fact that, that in China, there's different types of patents. Some of them don't get examined. Some of them only last for a few years. Um, others are, are uh, ones that are more similar to what somebody would file, say, in the U.S. or in Europe. The thing that, that I think would be fascinating, we didn't have an opportunity to do this yet for this particular study, but the real question uh, to ask with some of these Chinese paths would be to say, well, how many of them are filed outside of China? Uh, and and it's easy to do in, in a sense. Some time has to pass because uh, it takes time for these filings to take. But if you went back five years, say, you could say, okay, five years ago they filed in China, and then within three years they also filed something that's called a WO application, which can theoretically be applied anywhere in the world, uh, or 180 countries in the world. Uh, and then they followed up with something in the U.S., in Europe, or in Japan, or someplace else. And, and compare that to, say, the same uh, industry or the same uh, general topic area and what the U.S. companies were doing and what the European countries were doing. So you can't ignore what's going on. China has a lot of resources. They take innovation very seriously. They take technology very seriously. They have a huge population. And that huge population uh, is going to be needing more and more in the way of healthcare. And so um, this is absolutely, uh, there is a lot going on and it's being captured uh, with these patent filings. But again, at the same time, uh, there are ways to look more closely, more specifically, at individual areas, individual companies, and start to determine, well, is this something that, that's really just centered on China all by itself? Or is it, in fact, something that uh, could be applied more broadly across uh, around the world? And generally speaking, when we start seeing interest for protection in, in some place other than uh, a specific country or market, well, again, that's expensive, and we therefore look at that and say that, that that's uh, an indicator of, of higher interest. The, the sharpest increase in the pharmaceutical sector came in inorganics. Uh, part of this is because this is a, a, a small portion of it, but still uh, the most dramatic increase. Can you explain what those are and, and whether this signals some larger trend to watch for in the years ahead? Well, thank you. I appreciate you, you mentioning that it was a large increase on a small base, uh, which you have to be a little bit careful uh, about interpreting. So I think it, it certainly signals a trend. 
but I wouldn't say that it's a, a long-term uh, um, movement and strategy. Uh, inorganic in a pharmaceutical sense would be anything that contains uh, or any substance uh, that contains a uh, inorganic compound. Organic in the world of chemistry is defined as carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, and sometimes phosphorus and sulfur. Right? Those are the, those, when those uh, elements are present, that's more or less considered to be a uh, organic compound. Uh, when you add silicon, when you add uh, iron, when you add various metals, uh, and when you likely can recall that, that, that for years and years and years, the most popular cancer treatments uh, was a molecule, for instance, referred to as cisplatinum. Sure. Okay, cisplatinum was, was a, a, was actually a platinum molecule, uh, that was bound, uh, by, uh, a couple of other molecules. And that, uh, turned out to be a very effective, uh, killing, uh, substance. Um, and of course, the way cancer research, uh, worked in the past, was the, the idea was to kill the cancer cells faster than you could kill the healthy cells. Uh, but meanwhile, those, those compounds are actually quite toxic. Uh, but they're more toxic to the cancer than they are to the healthy cells. And that's, you know, how it works and why chemotherapy has all of these, these really dramatic effects that you see, uh, when the use of those drugs are done. And then those drugs are generally considered to be, um, inorganic. And so I'm, I'm certain that, that in this particular case, uh, there's been a return to looking at those types of substances, but because we're talking about uh, a small base, uh, I wouldn't say that it, it's nearly uh, the same as, as, as for instance, uh, looking at the, the uh, biomolecules. But there's a much larger base of, of research being done in biosequences and, and intravenous delivery of, of uh, biomolecules uh, than, than what we're seeing in Organic Understanding your caution against reading too much into any one chart here, but you know it was interesting to see Cadelia Healthcare of India on the list of top global pharmaceutical innovators. Does this signal any movement in India towards a more innovation-based industry? Yes, it does, and, and I, it, there's going to be more and more of this. And, and, and you're already to use a, a little bit of a different analogy. Uh, Years ago, I love to tell the story. I ask people, um, what does LG stand for? Now, this is, this, again, this is an example in the consumer electronics area. Uh, LG, everybody says life is good. Okay? <laughs> LG doesn't stand for life is good. LG stands for lucky gold star. Now, I happen to be old enough to remember when my parents bought the gold star VCR uh, back in the, the 80s. And at that time, a gold star VCR was just absolutely positive. It was the cheapest thing on the market. And, but what happened with, with a lot of the Korean companies is that, yeah, they all got into the industry. Samsung, LG, Hyundai, the list sort of goes, goes on and on. They got into the industry, uh, by being, uh, the lowest competitor, by building, uh, the lowest, uh, having the lowest cost of goods and being able to bring a product to market that was much less expensive than everybody else. But as industries got bigger, economy of scale, manufacturing methods, the, the, the race at the bottom doesn't end up being very profitable. 
And, and, and a lot of those Korean companies began to understand the importance of protecting their own innovations outright and not copying others, and then being able to develop their own market and being able to charge premiums in large margins because of the fact that they were innovators. And so you see now with the South Korea and a lot of those industries that where they were once uh, copying and where they were once uh, simply adopting technology from others, they invested in the development of technology and were able to generate larger profit margins. You're seeing something in a similar fashion in India. Uh, yes, they got into the market with the generics. They got into the market uh, with a small profit margin. But uh, as things have, uh, as they begin to develop and as they start to look for more profitable industries and the opportunity to to have larger profit uh, profit margins, they uh, have gone ahead and started to do their own innovation. Well, last up, I'd like to turn to the medical device industry, which for years I think has been perceived as a, a laggard in terms of innovation. But this year, far and away, leads the pack. What's happened? There's been two things uh, I think that have really uh, made a huge impact. One, uh, the, the subsequent question marks around the uh, patenting of uh, biosequences have driven people and, and, and uh, diagnostic kits and whatnot have led people uh, to uh, not patent in so much those areas and start to instead use uh, file for medical devices that are associated with those things. Because part of the U.S. patent system is that if there's a machine or transformation test that takes place. And so if, if there is a uh, machine involved or a transformation of some type involved, well, now it cannot become patentable. But now if you take uh, some of these inventions uh, and apply them to, to practical methods of delivery and so on, um, now all of a sudden that becomes uh, patentable subject matter. Uh, and it's, it's something that needs to be done anyway in order to effectively deliver it. The second item is, is, is associated with that, with the, the surge in uh, biosimilars. Uh, again, in the delivery of, of biomolecules, uh, that's included in here, uh, for instance, under uh, syringes, medical aids, uh, and oral administration. There's all sorts of, those are the, the areas that are growing the largest, and those are going to have, are going to be most closely associated with um, these biomolecules and the biosimilars in particular. Uh, biosimilars, just like generic pharmaceutical, you can't necessarily copy the exact molecule itself. But if you've invented a, a better way to increase uh, the uh, time that it's spent in the blood, or you can somehow formulate it so that it's orally available, uh, or you uh, have you, you create a, a mechanism by which uh, the infusion into the body can be done uh, in a more efficient manner. All of these things become uh, very valuable uh, because you know, that, that's proprietary to your particular formulation uh, of those uh, biosimilars, for instance. Uh, and as, as that area continues to grow, um, there's, just going, there's just more and more innovation. Excuse me, there's just going to be more and more 
opportunity uh, for economic uh, growth. And, and, and again, generally, um, patents follow the money. As, as industries develop where uh, there's more opportunities to, to uh, increase markets, you know, get, uh, make markets bigger, and to uh, increase profits, well, then, then you'll see, uh, you know, corresponding uh, increases in, in, in patents. If you look at the list of top innovators, uh, you know, certainly away from the U.S., does this represent any long-term movement of innovation in this sector outside of the U.S. as opposed to U.S.-based? I wouldn't say that necessarily. I just think it's another one of these situations. Remember, when we first started our conversation, we talked about the uh, autonomous vehicle and, and how sensor technology was required, uh, how computing uh, technology was required. And, and you're seeing something similar here where there's uh, organizations that have expertise and knowledge in areas that are tangential to what's required to solve problems in this particular field. And they're recognizing that this is uh, fruitful ground uh, for them to be working in as well. And so, uh, they're starting to get more heavily involved, uh, even if it's something that, that they're not traditionally associated with. And so, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know if that's any sort of country-specific item, uh, but more generally just a, a, an idea that um, as this area becomes more profitable, as this field becomes one of, of higher interest, uh, companies that, that have solutions and develop technologies that are appropriate uh, and were originally developed to do something else, recognize that uh, they can be involved with this industry as well. And, and as they begin to do that, uh, then they start uh, showing up more and more uh, in these sorts of collections. So is there a takeaway from all this? What, what does the report tell us about the state of innovation today? Overall, uh, what, it, what it tells us is that uh, it really is an exciting time to be involved with a technology-based business. Uh, it's also a very exciting time uh, to, to, when you recognize that that what's going on in, in our society, even looking back 20 or 30 years, and you think about what, what we were doing back in the 1980s, for instance, compared to what it is that we do today, and, and think about what we're going to continue to do, even as, say, as little as 10 or 20 years from now. Um, it's this uh, investment in uh, technology, this investment in innovation, this investment in continually growing uh, from a technological perspective is what's allowing us to make these uh, huge advances. And it, it's just uh, yeah, economics aside, so for instance, last year was, was a little bit of a downturn, and that coincides again with, with 18 months previously being in a recession. And as we're coming out of it, uh, we're seeing that, that, that things are really starting to take off. And, and it's just really, really exciting uh, to see what the potential is going to be uh, as we continue to move forward. But we're just now at the, at the beginning of the wave hasn't pressed yet. We're just at the point where there's the beginning to really build up momentum. And it, it's going to, in the next couple of years, uh, pay pretty enormous dividends in, in, in what's going to be available. In, uh, how it is that that what, what sort of uh, technologies are available to, to, to society? 
Anthony Tripp, Senior Patent Analyst for Thompson Reuters. Anthony, thanks so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.